Hello friends, welcome to the Functional Nurse Practitioner Podcast. I'm a board-certified family nurse practitioner who specializes in women's health, utilizing both conventional and functional medicine strategies in order to provide a more comprehensive approach for optimal health. The current model of care in healthcare is very lacking, which led me down the road of functional medicine. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach which looks at uncovering the root cause for the symptoms we're having in order to allow for healing versus simply applying a Band-Aid to the situation. I believe we need an integrative approach of both conventional and functional medicine in order to provide the best care possible. I've been incorporating functional medicine practices within my gynecology practice and have seen phenomenal results. I believe we need to level up our healthcare system so women, all my ladies out there, can actually feel better. Just a quick disclaimer that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or be a substitute for medical advice from your practitioner. Also, if you like what you hear on this show, I would be real appreciative if you would leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening from and subscribe to the show. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, we are continuing our cholesterol series. In part one, we discussed what cholesterol actually is, as it is often vilified in conventional medicine. We learned that our body needs cholesterol in order to build healthy cells. Cholesterol is a part of the outer layer of our cells, the membrane of our cells. It is also the initial part of the steroidogenic pathway. In part two, we dove deep into LDL and HDL. We discussed that cholesterol cannot travel throughout the body on its own. It needs a friend. LDL is responsible for moving cholesterol throughout the body to the tissues, whereas HDL's role is to bring cholesterol back from the tissues to the liver. If you missed either of those episodes, I highly suggest you go back and listen to episodes 18 and 19. The information discussed in those shows will help to build a foundation for better understanding your cardiovascular health. Today, we're going to discuss apolipoproteins. We're going to talk about what they are, the role they play in the body, the cardiovascular risks or benefits associated with higher levels. Friends, I think you're really going to love this discussion. I'm bundled up at my desk. It's snowing outside. I love the snow, but it's halfway through March. I'm ready for the sunshine. I have a big glass of water. Hydration is so important. Wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing, maybe you're getting ready for a run or doing some household chores or on a car trip, let's lean into apolipoproteins. What is an apolipoprotein? Apolipoproteins are specialized plasma proteins involved in the regulation of lipoprotein metabolism and play a vital role in vascular biology and also atherosclerotic disease. There are many different types of apolipoproteins, and they each have different functions. Apolipoproteins are associated with a myriad of diseases like atherosclerosis, hyperlipidemia, but also diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. Apolipoproteins have four main functions. 
they provide a structure to lipoproteins. They play a role in the binding of lipoproteins to their receptors. Apolipoproteins also direct the formation of lipoproteins and serve as inhibitors or activators of enzymes that are involved in lipoprotein metabolism. Today, we will be talking about two specific apolipoproteins, ApoB and ApoA. Let's start with ApoB. There are two forms of ApoB, one that comes from our small intestine that is involved with transporting dietary lipids and one from the liver, playing a crucial role in cholesterol metabolism. You may remember the word chylomicron from episode 18. Chylomicrons are large lipoproteins that are composed of predominantly triglycerides and are produced in the small intestine from dietary lipids like cholesterol and fatty acids. These chylomicrons have a single molecule of ApoB48 on its surface. The remaining potentially atherogenic lipoproteins like VLDL and LDL have a single molecule of ApoB100 on their surface. And this form of ApoB is what we will be discussing today. ApoB48 has much more to do with triglycerides, in particular, the foods we eat that raise triglycerides. I will save that conversation for another day when we will discuss fatty liver disease. Today, I really want to focus on ApoB100. To make this conversation easier to process, from here on out, I will use the term ApoB. Just know that I am referring to ApoB100. Previously, we learned there are seven different lipoproteins, and all except HDL are potentially atherogenic. So, every lipoprotein, with the exclusion of HDL, has an ApoB on its surface. I like to think of ApoB as the scaffolding of the lipoprotein, holding it together. There is one ApoB on each of the atherogenic lipoproteins. These ApoB proteins help with transporting cholesterol throughout the body and clearing cholesterol from the blood. To better understand this process, we need to briefly discuss atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis, hardening or thickening of the arteries, is caused by plaque buildup in the inner lining of the artery wall. When there is a buildup of plaque, arteries narrow. If you can imagine a narrowed artery, there is a reduction of vital oxygen-rich blood that is able to travel to our vital organs and peripheral tissues. Atherosclerosis can affect the arteries in your heart, which is known as coronary heart disease, or other arteries throughout the body that can impact your brain, kidneys, pelvis, arms and legs. If you have frequent leg pain, you may have atherosclerosis within the arteries of your legs. This type of atherosclerosis is known as peripheral artery disease. You may have leg weakness, loss of hair to your legs. The skin on your legs may be shiny, cool to the touch. Sores or ulcers may develop. When we have atherosclerosis, it starts as this plaque buildup and reduction of blood flow. The plaque may become brittle or inflamed. 
Foam cells are a major source of pro-inflammatory mediators, and inflammation can cause the plaque to rupture, which then causes a clot to form. I don't think most of us are thinking about what's happening inside our artery walls. Atherosclerosis begins with a breach of the endothelial barrier within the arterial wall. This breach allows ApoB, which is attached to LDL, to migrate into the inner lining, which then initiates an inflammatory response, leading to increased cell migration and also LDL modification. It becomes more oxidized, which then changes its polarity, making it more attractive to our macrophages. I mentioned in previous episodes that I had my genetics ran, and let's just say it explains a lot. Hopefully, we all know by now that our environment plays a major role in gene expression. But if you decide to have your genetics run, it can greatly help to steer you towards areas of concern. I used 3x4 to run my genetics, and I do recommend this company for sure. They calculate an impact level for each pathway, ranging from low, medium, high, to very high, with very high having the greatest impact. My top three pathways are methylation, which was very high. I am planning a whole episode focusing on methylation, as this is crucial for many things, but in particular, hormone health. So make sure you are subscribed to the show and hit that notification bell so you never miss an episode. A quick reminder, friends, that next week we have a very special guest coming on the show, and we are diving deep into hormones, perimenopause, and menopause. Definitely do not want to miss this. Anyway, I scored high in mood and behavior, which I find very interesting and explains a lot. And finally, high in vascular health. My blood vessels may be susceptible to damage. When I think about my horrible diet I had for most of my life, I think about how badly this could have went for me. I used to consume foods high in sugar, salt, highly processed foods. I dramatically changed my lifestyle several years ago and really fine-tuned my food intake in the past 15 months, where I aim to eat the rainbow. If you listened to last week's episode where we had Dr. Heather Zwicky on and we dove deep into the microbiome, she talked about the study showing that eating 30 plant-based foods per week, aiming for variety, can greatly impact our health positively. I couldn't help but smile as she spoke, thinking about all the wonderful colors I consume on a daily basis. My nurse tells me I look like a rabbit sitting at my desk during lunch. Getting back to genetics. My fat cells are prone to inflammation. Consuming a more anti-inflammatory diet is recommended. I don't think we often think about things like food additives and food preservatives fueling inflammation, but we should. I read all the labels of everything I buy at the store or online, and I am blown away by the number of foods that contain things like Red 40 or THBQ added for freshness. Interestingly, I was reading an article yesterday where they were discussing THBQ and its link with autoimmunity. Definitely a topic I am very passionate about for myself, doing 
everything I can to keep inflammation at bay to not turn on any of the autoimmune markers I already have lit up, and also for my patients. So many of us are left feeling overlooked or even gaslit by our providers who are not listening to our concerns. I love functional medicine because root cause medicine has the power to reverse disease. It is not a fast process though. And I do have to mention this with my patients. Pills will get you the relief of symptoms faster, but it is a band-aid and not a cure for the symptom. Getting back to ApoB, each ApoB molecule has a specific LDL receptor binding site. Once LDL docks to its receptor, the cholesterol and the ApoB are rapidly removed from the plasma. When we think about dyslipidemia and high cholesterol, there are different factors that contribute to disease formation and progression. Size and number of LDL, but also receptor sites. A deficiency of LDL receptors is dangerous. If LDL cannot bind to a receptor site to then transport cholesterol into that cell, cholesterol increases in the plasma, and this accelerates atherosclerosis. Not only can ApoB bind to LDL receptor sites, but they can also bind to other sites, specifically proteoglycan binding sites. When we're talking about arterial proteoglycans, there are two main types of cells that comprise the artery wall, the endothelium and smooth muscle. The primary mechanism for LDL to be retained in the subendothelium is thought to be attributed to this binding of ApoB to proteoglycans. This is very significant. Have you had your ApoB measured? I haven't. Probably something I should consider, especially after seeing my genetics. ApoB can be broken down by enzymes within the innermost arterial membrane and can change at the molecular level, promoting aggregation, fusion, and accumulation in the arterial wall. This further perpetuates plaque formation and severity of vascular disease. If your practitioner were to measure ApoB, it is important to note that this actually provides a better approximation of the total number of atherogenic lipoproteins. Remember that ApoB is the surface protein of more than just LDL. Studies show that this measurement may be a better predictor of cardiovascular risk rather than just running a standard lipid panel, meaning adding on an ApoB level to your yearly or bi-yearly cholesterol panel could be advantageous. It's also interesting to note that high levels of ApoB are associated with type 2 diabetes. Another consideration is familial hypercholesterolemia, a genetic disorder that affects roughly 1 in 250 individuals and increases the risk of heart disease at a younger age. There are more than 100 mutations of the ApoB gene that are known to cause familial hypercholesterolemia. Altered ApoB can prevent LDL from binding to LDL receptors on the cell surface. When less LDL are removed from the blood, levels of cholesterol are much higher than normal. If someone has 
two altered copies of the ApoB gene, so one from mom and one from dad, signs and symptoms of high cholesterol are usually seen in childhood. If you have one altered copy from one parent and a normal, using air quotes here, from your other parent, it may not show itself until age 40 or 50. What does this mean then? If you have heterozygous or partial genetic defect, I hate that word, by the way, defect, but if you have this partial genetic defect, you may have a heart attack as early as age 40 or 50, depending on gender. Men typically experience heart attacks younger. If you have a homozygous or complete genetic defect, so both copies are altered, you can actually have a heart attack as early as your teen years or 20s. It is crucial we are taking a thorough history as a practitioner, so we don't miss the warning signs of familial hypercholesterolemia. If you have any concerns, talk to your practitioner about it. I do think genetic testing, if you can afford it, is a smart idea. Let's now turn our attention to ApoA. Like ApoB, there are two main types, ApoA1 and ApoA2. The latter is produced in the intestine, whereas ApoA1 is created in the liver. ApoA1 is the primary protein of HDL, the good cholesterol. We already spoke in depth about the structure of the lipoprotein and the role of apolipoprotein. So what is so special about ApoA1? This protein is a key mediator of reverse cholesterol transport. If you remember from episode 19, HDL pulls the cholesterol out of the tissue and transports it back to the liver so the liver can flush it from the body. Therefore, low levels of ApoA1 raise the risk of cardiovascular disease. ApoA1 activates the enzymes that are responsible for pulling cholesterol from the tissues and into HDL. ApoA1 also enables HDL to bind to receptors at the end of their trip to the liver. I am such a nerd. You guys, if you've been a listener to the show for some time, know this. I was reading several articles, newer articles, one released last month in the Journal of Lipid Research, where the authors were discussing a variant of ApoA1, which is strongly associated with normal ApoA1 levels, but low HDL. This is significant. If this variant causes impairment of ApoA1 to form larger HDL, remember, we want larger HDL and also larger LDL. Size matters here, friends. This variant can then cause smaller HDL particles. So that means their ability to carry cholesterol back to the liver is impaired. The vehicle isn't large enough to carry away adequate cholesterol, leading to a lessened atherogenic ability. Another article I was reading was talking about how we can actually have modified ApoA1, which could then play a role in atherogenesis. This is why I love diving deeper, because at face value, ApoA1 is good, and maybe overall it is, but I wouldn't recommend only checking this marker. I do not believe you will get an informed idea of what the true cardiovascular risk is. The authors discussed how inflammation and oxidative stress can lead to modifications of mature ApoA1, perpetuating the formation 
of APOA1-specific IgG antibodies, which then can exhibit pro-inflammatory properties. So then we can have dysfunctional APOA1 variants that create modified HDL, causing immunogenic properties, inducing humoral immune response and antibody production. I found another paper that found a correlation between higher APOA1 levels and osteoporosis, which is very interesting, suggesting there may be common pathways in metabolism-related diseases like osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease. I will point out that a measurement of ApoB to ApoA1 is recognized as a reflection of cardiovascular disease risk. I do think we need more research, especially with regards to autoimmunity as it is on the rise, and there is so much we do not understand. What do I take away with this somewhat contradicting information? First, we need balance. Looking at only one marker is not a sufficient method of assessing risk. Secondly, we need to consider inflammation. We know that inflammation is the driver of so many diseases, cardiovascular disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, autoimmunity. How can we lower inflammation? First and foremost, what are we putting into our bodies? This obviously includes food, but also smoking, alcohol, chemicals. Our Western society filled with convenience foods packaged up with artificial colors, flavors, preservatives that have been chemically modified through industrialization, laced with herbicides, insecticides. What are they doing to our bodies? What is the answer we get if we go to a specialist office with inflammation, anti-inflammatory medications? Does this solve the problem or does it actually create new problems. Our immune system was designed to work with us, protect us. If we are indulging in a whole bunch of crap on a regular basis, we are messing with our natural signaling. We're creating an immune response. I spent many years of my life ingesting red 40, yellow 5 and 6, and so many other immune disrupting chemicals. I can't go back in time. I can't snap my fingers and have my thyroid back. This is what really hypes me up. This is why I started this podcast, to spread the word. If only one of my fabulous listeners makes a positive change for their body, removes a harmful chemical, whether it's in their food or their personal care products, and that change halts the progression of a chronic disease, changes the trajectory of illness, I have done my job. I work with so many wonderful patients, and while I do think they appreciate my honesty, my, well, blunt way of explaining things, I know that sometimes the message is hard to hear. It was hard for me to hear also. Hard to change, but friends, with change, a new path can be created. I was told there was only one path for me, disease, and I choose a different road. I choose healing. I choose optimal health. And on that note, I think I have ranted for long enough. Next week, we have a very special episode. Definitely don't want to miss that one. And the following week, we will talk about strategies for what the heck do we do to improve our cholesterol health. We will get into medications, supplements, foods, all the good stuff. 
If you are not following me on Instagram, come over and say hi, the functional nurse practitioner. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I will see you very soon. Love you guys.